Hello and welcome. My name is Colin Daly and this is Parkour Ed, the podcast from the International French School of Singapore where I sit down with people and learn about them, their life, where they come from and how they ended up here. As always, I let my guests introduce themselves and tell us, first of all, about their name. If there's any special meaning to it, how they got it, any problems they have with it any interesting vignettes or stories they have about it. So with no further ado, let's get started with our guests today, July 4th, 2023. Hi, thank you for that. I'm James Carey. With regards to my name, all I know is that James is a Hebrew word. It means he supplanted. I think it's from Jacob. And with regards to Carey, he's an Irish name. So I know I've got some Irish family going back a few generations. My father's side of the family is Irish, but I don't really know how far back that goes or when they came over to Britain. All right. James is a Hebrew name. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's from the Bible. And then it's literally from Jacob. I think any name like Jack, Jake, James, any of these words comes from the root word of Jacob, that name. All right. And Carrie is Irish, you mentioned. How did you get the name James Carrie? Was it chosen because it's your uncle's or your grandfather's? No. Not that I know of, no, it's just the name that I guess my parents liked since I was about seven years old. I mean, Jim Carrey has been a constant reference. Yeah, I'm sure that could be quite irritating. It's a little bit old, but it's all right. (laughs) I'm sure that everybody has something about their name that's a a bit annoying at times. As a kid, did you go by James always, or was it Jimmy? So actually, the UK, we have this weird tradition where if your surname ends with a Y, I don't know why, people call you by your surname. So oh. I was always called Carey at school. So I had a friend called Steve Saxby. He was called Saxby. Rob Brady was Brady. Anyone whose name ended in a Y, for some reason, were always referred to in England with a Y. And is that something that's always been true? Or was it a fashion at that time when you were growing up? Um, people still do that? Like, my last name is Daly. Would I be called Daly? Yeah, okay. possibly. The people I went to school with will still call me Carey. Like, my best friends will still call me Carey. Okay, but was that true for your father? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, his mates so call him it's, Carrie, some, it's something that continues. <laughs> yeah. Now, see, I learn something every time we do this, is, yeah. and I had no idea that that was the case. Wow, interesting. And so we've had other James in our department. People listening don't know at home, but you're part of the English department, and right. we'll get into all of that very quickly. I'm very happy you agreed to come in and sit down and talk with us, because the whole purpose of this podcast is for people to meet each other and just talk about, you know, yeah. what, what are you doing here? You know, how'd you yeah. end up here? But before we start with that, what, when were you born? 2nd of May, 1987. Where were you born? I was born in Canterbury, in Kent. It's about 70 miles southeast of London. I don't remember much of it, to be honest. I moved to Singapore when I was two. And have you lived here ever since? No, so I lived here until I was 10 years old. I went to Tanglin, then moved back to the UK at, at 10. But my childhood was here, my formative years. So coming back was not a huge adjustment in terms of moving back to the country. You were here with your parents and your brothers yeah. and sisters? Yeah, my parents are both teachers. My mum taught primary. They're both retired now. And my dad taught high school English and history. Did they teach at Tanglin? My dad taught at St. Andrew's School. Not yeah. far, just down the road. So All the government right. employed him and they placed him there. The MOE? Yeah, he loved it. And then my mum taught at a place called Lorna Whiston, which I don't know if it's still there anymore. It was like an independent, small kindergarten, just above kindergarten level. And when you went back to England, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, did you go back to go to school or did the whole family go back? We all moved back. Brothers and sisters? So I've got one sister, two years younger than me. She's 34. <clears throat> yeah, we moved back. I was 10. She was eight years old. And it's quite a culture shock because all I know is the city and multiculturalism 
and uh, the hustle and bustle of a town and life and Sentosa and all these things we do on the weekend. And Singapore is basically a playground. When you're a kid, it's like a paradise. Right. There's no cold weather. And, no. I mean, stating the obvious here, but, you know, when yeah. you grow up in Singapore, uh, tying your shoelaces isn't something you get good at until you start playing football. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You, don't, you just don't need to. You don't need to. I was walking around barefoot for most of my... I remember that. My, my parents would like throw me out of the house when I was like seven, eight years old. So did you live in a landed in, property or did you live in a, yeah, a flat? Yeah, we lived in a black and white down in Portsdown Road All right. by Tangling School, where a lot of those black and white flats are. Right, down by the coal bar. So that was a lot of my formative years were spent in the coal bar. In the coal bar. Okay. Yeah. So Is yeah. the coal bar still open? still there. They it's moved still it. there. They oh, moved okay. it slightly, but yeah, All it's right. still there. Uh, heritage spot. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I still go there on tomorrow's. Okay. I love it. I did not know that about you, James. And how long have you been at our school? You've been here for a couple of years already. Four years. Four years. I should know this, but this is what I love about doing this podcast. And so you went back. Did your parents change jobs? Did they just want to go home? Back to the when UK? you went back to the UK? Uh, their contracts were Yeah, I think it was or? a contract thing. Just the timing. I think they've been away from their parents. They've been six years. Did they go back abroad ever to work or did they stay? Yeah, no, so my, my dad would always leave. He went to work in Saudi Arabia and Brunei and Hong Kong and All Singapore. Right. So when I was growing up, he was kind of away a lot. I so, see. yeah, that was uh, interesting because as a teacher in the UK, you know, I think it was for salary reasons and things like this, it was right. more effective to work abroad. He was still able to get home because of school breaks and yeah. some, some postings aren't as far away from the UK as, I mean, especially as others. Like in Hong Kong, for example, or even Singapore, Chinese New Year helps. Yeah. I think in Hong Kong, he got a full week or two weeks off. So he'd have two weeks off for Christmas. Then he'd go back to Hong Kong and then he'd come back again. In I see. Kind of what, early February. So. so when you went back to the UK, what kind of living arrangement? Did you have a house back there too or was it a flat? Or I mean, I'm not yeah. familiar with the area that you mentioned. So my parents, they live in the countryside. So okay. it was right in the middle of the countryside, and that was what a big culture shock was, was from leaving here. And Tanglin at that point didn't have a high school, so it was just the primary school, but it still had about 1,200 kids. So then I moved to this school in the countryside with 80 kids in the entire school, little village school, right? It's funny, when you talk about Portsdown Road in Singapore, that's like the Singapore version of countryside. Basically. Even though it's yeah. densely populated yeah. with a huge school right yeah. down there, I mean, it's... It's city living here. It is. And so you were in a kind of a rural zone, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I would imagine surrounded by kids who had never gone far from home, too. No. So no. you had experiences that they couldn't relate to. That must have been really hard. Yeah, I mean, it was actually very difficult, I would say. It took me about a year or two years to really adjust to it. Even being in a classroom where Tanglin, I remember I had a kid from Uganda, Hungary, obviously Britain, Australia, a student from Papua New Guinea, all over the world, basically, Italy. And then you move back to the UK and you're in this tiny little school and it's just 20, 25 like, white faces. I see. And everyone's English and everyone's never left or hardly left this little town, little village, really. So it was very, very different over the course of one summer. And you're old enough by then, 10 years old, to remember you know, the last four or five years of your life and what it's like. <clears throat> So you got back, and what was the name of the town that you went back to? You said Kent? Can- yeah, Canterbury. Canterbury. Yeah, so okay. the, the village is... Um, That's where the Archbishop is, right? Yeah, the Archbishop of Canterbury. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Canterbury. Canterbury Tales. Canterbury Tales. Yeah. And rural, you know, countryside type mm-hmm. of place. And so then what kind of school were you in there? Yeah, it's called a Church of England school, which is basically all the primary schools in the UK are called Church of England schools. Interesting. Why are they called... 
Church um, of England schools, there's no separation of church and state in yeah. that sense. So most of these schools, you will sing hymns, and they'll have like Jesus on the wall. And Even to this day, uh, I mean, yeah, the, like that the, school is still in there. The UK is a very diverse place yeah. now, maybe less so in the rural areas, yeah. but still. So there's they're singing hymns, and there's a Christian. Yeah link yeah. to what what an American would call a public school, but mm. I know they're called private schools in the UK. It's a Church of England school, yeah. and would you be wearing uniforms at school? Always. So primary school, secondary school. All over the UK, it's like that. Until or, you're 16? Or just England? Oh, all over the UK. All over the UK, yeah, okay. pretty much. So until you're 16, you're wearing uniforms. Then the last two years of high school, like all right. junior and senior, the equivalent, right. you wear your own clothes. All right. But... That's like a French equivalent of cycle terminal. Right. Right. So that's première terminal. We'd have, uh, yeah. can you imagine all of our middle school and kids all the way up through uh, seconde wearing uniforms? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, but in other schools in Singapore, it's like that. A lot of them, I think, follow like the British method of, yeah. of uniform. I see. So were you at school with your sister too? She was two years behind you, but you were at the same school? We were at the same primary school and then high school. I went to an all-boys school and she went to an all-girls school, which was the sister school. I see. So it's the same school, it's and, like split. And again, that would be a government school, but called a Church of England school. No, so the... Or would the, that have been a private slash public? I always get confused with the private public. So it a, wasn't a private school? No. Or pub, what we would call public school? It's just a state school? A state school, okay. Just a normal... Normal state normal school. state school. And are there school fees no matter what school you go to, no. or is it... there? Not, okay. No, no. We have a thing called the 11 Plus in Kent which is the county that Canterbury is in. Yeah. And that's like equivalent to the test they would take for SI. So some of the schools are selective schools. So you take a test at 11. And a lot of people are against it because they think it's elitist and it's a little bit unfair. and Pressure on a young kid. How are you going to determine a kid's path at the age of 11 years old? But they do that here in Singapore too. Yeah. yeah it's very common. Yeah. yeah. So you went to one of those schools. And so when you finish, you graduate, you're 18, 17, 18 mm-hmm. years old, you finish... The A levels? Yeah. Always first and then the A. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not in alphabetical order. <laughs> no. No. It was They're, like, they're yeah. like blood types, right? Yeah. A, O, and yeah. well, how about the B levels? <laughs> There's a B tech. <laughs> There's a B tech. Yeah. All right. So after you finish your A levels, yeah. what happened after that? You're still living at home with your mom and your sister. Yeah. And your dad is there yeah. and sometimes working yeah. abroad. And then I go to a place called Norwich. Oh, okay. For Heard of it? Yeah, yep. yeah, out in the sticks again. Uh, it's like three hours northeast of London, uh, and I go to university there, uh, and I go and do politics. Oh, yeah, politics yeah. in Norwich, yeah. as we say in the United States, but yeah, it's Norwich. Norwich, Norwich. Yeah. Norwich, okay, so you study politics. Yeah. All forms of politics, international, local. Yeah, international politics, international relations, U.S. politics, U.K. politics, philosophy, what led you to that? What was your interest? So it was one of my A-levels, and I did okay in it. And to be honest, I probably shouldn't have done it because I didn't finish the course. So I did two years of the three years, so I changed, and I had to start again because it wasn't for me. You didn't, I, you I realized, didn't uh, float your boat? No, okay. and I probably should have left after the first year, and I thought, no, no, no I'll, I'll keep going, see if I can uh, if I get, get with it. But right. so, really it was English and American literature that I eventually chose. All right. That was, all right. So you, you, after two years, you changed universities? I did. You go I to went, a different town? Yeah, I went back home. I went to Kent. Okay. I went to the University of Kent. So you went to the University of Kent, and I'm surprised you said not just British literature, but American literature yes. as well. Uh, and that was a three-year course. So you started at the beginning? So that was three years, plus, it was four years, because I had a year in America. 
Oh, where'd you go in America? Uh, Indiana University. Okay. Uh, what city is that in? Bloomington, Indiana. Bloomington, Indiana. Uh, yeah. Okay. Wow. An hour south of Indianapolis. All right. Yeah. And so you're in Bloomington, Indiana for a year. This was like 2009. 2000, 2009, <laughs> yeah. sorry. So uh, 2009, you were in Bloomington. Would that have been your third year or your fourth? Yes, that was okay. my third so year. So that's your four. third year. Yeah. And then uh, would that be the equivalent of a bachelor's degree? Or? Yes, there was a bachelor's. So you did the bachelor's, did bachelor's in American and English literature. Yeah. Okay. And then I did a master's in the same all right. And where did you do oh, the master's? That was at Kent as well. So yeah. you're a hometown boy. Pretty much stayed. Stayed in Kent. For those. So when you're at university, were you staying at the family home or did you stay in your own place? Or? So I did a mix. So I would be staying in halls and then the last two years I stayed at home just to save money and it was easier. And the halls are like what we call dormitories where yeah. you share yeah. and then you have to move out and it's like yeah. only students. And yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what's campus life like in a place like that? Is the focus really on studies, like on American campuses? And even I've heard about Dutch campuses, there's a lot of rituals, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of fun to be had. You know, the formative years, people make their connections, meet their friends, do a lot of partying, but they're also studying hard. They're kind of the first time when they leave, people leave home for the first time and they... What's the what's the atmosphere on, I would say, on, a, on an English or British? I don't know if English and British mm, would be similar or yeah. always the same. It pretty um, much would be. But a British campus, what's that feel like when you're... Um, well, because I can actually compare it to the U.S. Like Indiana is a Big Ten school, so very, very big. Yeah, um, fraternities and big beer yeah, parties and football games and kind of things like American football games. Yeah, yeah. But, but in the U.K., it's actually more... I mean, the drinking culture in the UK is so pervasive. It's everywhere. And it, like the pub culture from like 14, 15, you're going to the pub. Really? Yeah. That's very different from the United States. And, right? and it's, yeah, and that's what I found actually. In, uh, it's kind of a clandestine drinking culture in the United States. Until people are 21, yeah. they're drinking beer in somebody's basement or, <laughs> yeah. or in the back of a car or, or, yeah. or trying to find a fake ID. Yeah. Close your ears, kids. It's yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's very different. But we'll put a rating on this episode. That's one thing that uh, <laughs> UK universities is very much geared towards that social side and right. all the sports teams. All the sports teams is based on sports and then you go out together and... Yeah, the rugby, especially the, yeah. the third halftime, I suppose they call it. Yeah. Troisième mi-temps in yeah, French, you know. And w- were you into sports as well or...? Yeah, so I actually played. Uh, I played American football at university. You did. I played receiver, wide receiver. Well, slot receiver. I'm not that tall. At university? Uh, what? At, at UK university. This is not. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is not. I mean, you were at a Big Ten school. No, I'm no, thinking, no oh, not in America. Gosh, you're about a foot too short yeah. to be playing wide receiver. No, no, no. This is in the UK. <laughs> so you played American football. So when did you start learning? Did you start in the USA to learn how to play? Or no, I've been. A, I've been a fan since I was about 11, 12 years oh, old. Oh, that's that's so rare to yeah. talk to somebody who's not American yeah. or Canadian who plays American football. Well, I'm actually a big fan of all American sports: NBA, okay. baseball. Oh, you are? Okay. Yeah, college sports. You did your master's in English and American literature yep. in Kent. When did the sports participation stop? After the bachelor's, or could you continue on doing your master's? Yeah, so really once I got to the master's, I wasn't doing any more. Right. I know that in the United States, your eligibility is only good for the first four years anyway, but I'm, yeah. no matter what level you play at. It was more people just play for the fun of it. For the it's fun not of like it. an eligibility right. issue or things like that. And so once you got your degree, you're a master mm-hmm. of literature. Mm-hmm. What next? What'd you do? So then I did a teacher training year. So it's called the PGCE. It's the Postgraduate Certificate in Education that we do in the UK. So I had the one year 
of you know university during the week, <clears throat> part of the week you're at university, and then the other half you're in the schools, and they kind of throw you in at the deep end. And so it's a year where they give you two contrasting placements. So the first one generally is in what we would call like a rougher school or a school that's got issues right. and then the second challenges, one is yeah. yeah so they literally throw you in like at the deep end and you never taught a lesson before and I still remember the very first lesson that I ever taught with my tutor and he said how did that go and I thought well, I think it went okay and he got a piece of A4 paper out and he drew a line down the middle and he wrote this is what was good and this is what was bad and he wrote this is what was good you got through it this is what was bad and he just absolutely destroyed me and I was like if I was younger this probably would have really affected me but I thought it was a little bit unfair of a thing for him to do when it was my first ever lesson I'd ever taught. And this guy's just absolutely roasted me <laughs> with about 20 things. And I was like, well, of course I have, because I've never done this before. I assume it's difficult to find teachers as well in all over the world. Yeah. I mean, there's a shortage yeah. of teachers because of the challenges involved in the work, but also the remuneration, the pay is, you know, for the amount of education that you have to acquire in order to be a good teacher, you spend that much time studying, you know, to be an engineer or something, you end up making quite a bit more money. Right? So, so I think even in America, a lot of people have to take second jobs, right? And things oh, like definitely, this. Yeah. I, I don't even want to tell you how old I was when I finished paying off my student loans to be a teacher. Yeah. It's expensive. Yeah. So you went to that rough school first, yeah. which is also, I know, oftentimes a case for French teachers, you know, they get their teaching certificate and because of their points, you know, they're not married, they're young, and they don't have as much experience, and so their choices of schools are limited, and they end up in the really tough schools to start with, and they work really, yeah. really hard in the start. So that you started like that? Yeah. But then you said they alternate? They sent you yeah. to a different school? Then? I mean, but to be fair, by the end of that placement, it was actually really good, because you get to know the kids, you get to realize the reason that their behavior is for many, this is a poor area of the country. So there's many reasons why they're acting like this, and it's not their fault. Actually, once you start to develop a relationship with them, it really changes. And that's the rewarding part, I find, is the relationship that you have. Was that near yeah. your home? Yeah. And you did your teacher training near your home? Yeah, always like 20 miles. Okay. I mean, you were in Singapore, you were off in the other side of the world, yeah. but when you came back, you really came back. Pretty much. Yeah, I couldn't leave. I tried to, but I was always just getting pulled back. Yeah. And so how long did you teach in that first school? That was just a term, like a semester, oh, a I couple see. of semesters. And then you do the same from Christmas until the summer in the other school. But my second placement was actually at the school that I went to. Did you have your former teachers yes. as colleagues? Yes. Interesting. So it was very interesting seeing the other side, being in the staff room. So a lot of my teachers were still there. I had a teacher who taught me when I was 10 or 11 years old, a biology teacher, who I hated, and oh. he hated me, and we had a very fractured relationship throughout my school years, and then he was a great guy. He was great. <laughs> Again, that really taught me the difference between when you're a kid, how you perceive a teacher, right. to what they're like, and then yeah. actually what they're really like in real life as really? a grown-up. Yeah. yeah, he was a really, really sound guy. That's wonderful. I had a similar experience when I was doing my teacher training. I took classes in the evening, and... To support myself during the day, I worked as a short-term substitute in the school system where I had grown up, and I took a few substitutions in my former school, and I saw a bunch of my old teachers, and yeah. it was always a big surprise yeah. for them. I mean, I kind of knew they would still be there. Yeah. Some of the comments were always a bit funny, like, Colin Daly, you became a teacher? <laughs> yeah. like you're the last one we thought would become a teacher, but they weren't all like that, though. But so it is fun to get yeah. that, that perspective change. And so you were at that school again for a term? Or? Yeah, actually from January until June, so, right. so a couple of terms there. All right, so a year in total, the, yeah. once in the hot seat and then back down memory lane. Yeah. And then where'd you go? And then I get my first like full-time teaching job, which is an NQT, which is a newly qualified teaching year 
It's almost like a training year. Right. So you still have to pass this year. That was in Sidcup, which is in southeast London. So I'll venture a little bit further. <laughs> so you're in southeast London. That's a big change, I'm sure, from where you were coming from. And I assume London is an expensive place, or southeast London is an expensive place to live, too. Yeah, I mean, not as much as Singapore, but southeast London's okay. It's not like West London or central London, some of those places. All right. Probably completely unaffordable. But right. And so how so. long did you work there? So I worked there for one year, and then I moved back into Kent to a place called Gillingham which is, again, about 30 miles south of London. And I did two years at school in Gillingham. And both of those schools that I worked at, they were selective schools as well. That's one I'd gone to. I felt I could teach better in that kind of environment with the students that actually wanted to learn. And you were teaching literature? Yeah. As opposed to teaching reading? Yeah, I mean, basically what I'm doing here with the, the GCSE. So right. here's the IGCSE, there it's the GCSE. It's essentially the same. Right. It's so very similar. The one in southeast London, you stayed there just for a year because that was another sort of quasi-training year, right? And then yeah. you went back to find permanent positions. Yeah. And so what was the catalyst? I mean, after that then, you said you worked back there for two years. Yeah. What finally sent you away? Or where did you go after that? It yeah. was at that school in Gillingham. And... So I was an English teacher, and then I met a French teacher, and we started a relationship after the first year. And in the second year, we both said we wanted to leave the UK, and we didn't really mind where we lived or where we went. So we'd applied for a bunch of different jobs everywhere, Spain, Malaysia. I had an interview in New Zealand, kind of all over the place. And then she got offered job at the French school. So I essentially came as her plus one. And she's still teaching here? So she teaches in the primary. And you guys are still together? No. Okay, no. sorry, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 it's fine. Like, we're still friends. So you're still friends. We're still on a friendly, okay. friendly All right. basis. And so tell us again, how long have you been here now? Four years. Four years. Yeah. And the COVID years yeah. were probably tough to get through. I know they were for everybody. You know, at the time, it didn't seem that tough. But when I look back on it, I was thinking about it yesterday. Yeah. And I was like, that was a tough time. Yeah. It seems tougher now when I look back on it. Usually you think, oh, it wasn't that bad. You look back on things with rose-tinted specs. But this, this one, I was thinking about it yesterday. I was like, that was a really bad couple of years. It really was. But I'm not the great in the moment regarding things. I'm much better looking back. I <laughs> it's see. taken me two years to kind of process I see. the situation I see. we were in. Yeah. And be like, wow, that was not normal. So four years you've been here and mm. you've been teaching. Tell us what you've been teaching. Section Internationale, the international section. Yeah. So mixture of classic and SI for the first two years. And then this year and then next year. It's pretty much SI exclusively. And what year levels are they? So I've taught everyone from CCM to second. So the IGCSE, in terms of like the actual elements of the subject that I teach, English, the literature, and also the age group of the kids, I would say that's my favorite. Like okay. CCM and second is my favorite year groups to teach. But I've had some fantastic CCM classes. I've had some really good catching classes. So actually you find that it doesn't really matter. It depends on the class. Are you still a fan of American sports? This is a tough place to follow American sports because of the time difference. The time difference, yeah. I don't know how many times I've tried to watch the Super Bowl on a yeah. Monday morning. It's Monday not, morning. Uh, it's not very easy. No. And a lot of the games in the NFL start like 1 a.m., starts here <laughs> but you manage to watch them not usually the 1am are there places where there's a community of people who watches this uh, out in public yeah. last year i had a one o'clock start on a monday so i was able to watch it at home but usually it's, i don't even think i know how to it. get access to it I and mean, then you no. gotta get an online subscription or yeah something. that's what i've got um, yeah. pass. league pass yeah. okay and basketball we have a colleague who's very much into yeah. basketball inji inji 
Yeah. Yeah. Karam. She, Talk uh, about the Raptors sometimes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that at all. What else do you like to do in Singapore outside of work? I mean, obviously, we work quite a bit. Yeah. And you spend a lot of time here. So but I play quite a bit of football twice a week for a football team. Soccer. Okay, thank you. I need a clarification. We're mixing yeah. our footballs. So you play soccer still? I do, yeah. Play for a team down at UWC on a Tuesday. Do you go to Dover campus or Tampanese? Uh, Dover. Dover campus, yeah, okay. got quite a nice facility down there. It's an over-35s team, so I only just qualify. Oh, good for you. <laughs> yeah. You finally made yeah. it. Yeah. Now that we're out of COVID, things are starting to get normal again. Mm. Are there any future plans for you know, things that you want to do? do you, have, you have, probably haven't had much chance to travel around the region. I've done a, f- a fair bit of traveling, but not as much as, I guess, we would have liked. Well, you know, um, I mean, anyone, really. yeah, yeah. Uh, for a long time, the people would just get a low-cost flight or hop on mm. a bus. And with the opportunities we have for regular breaks, which is nice to take advantage of. But, of course, the last round of vacations, you had, there was testing. I don't know if you were around for that. So I, yeah, I did. I stayed here. I did. So people always give teachers a hard time to say we're on vacation all the time. But yeah. the last holidays, you know, yeah. you guys were who supervised the IGCSE yeah. testing. You're, you're here. We did some invigilation. Invigilation. Two weeks. That's a great. That's a great English word. Yeah. Oh, is that, is, From is England. It? Okay. Invigilation. Yeah, no, I'm sure they use it in the United <laughs> States, perhaps. I don't know. It sounds like a very posh British word. Yeah. And how do you like living in Singapore as an adult now after, compared to as, when you were a kid? I mean, it's got to be different. Yeah. That's a really good question, actually. Yeah. Very different. You're just aware of more things, aware of the restrictions and the mindset and the culture that you're not really aware of. When, obviously, when you're a kid, you're not really aware of anything apart from what's going on right, right now on that day with your friends. It's certainly eye-opening the differences and I would say the authoritarian nature of it in some ways and right. the strictness. This is your first experience working in a French school yeah. as well, which yeah. is completely different, I assume. Yeah. Not always easy to understand what's going on. Yeah, it takes a while. It's it very does. different. It's very, very different. Yeah. For me, there's a richness to it and I'm attached to it. French was one of my main studies too, and I speak French. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, as a Brit, you studied French, right? I mean, you guys are forced to. It's not yeah. really a choice. No. But how did you feel about that? You know, this is interesting, actually, because my ex-partner, who is the teacher here, so she taught French in high school, and she hated it because of the curriculum and how it's taught in England. I see. And how you're taught stuff that you're never really going to use. She believes you should be taught kind of more conversational, legitimate conversational things that you're more likely to say. In the UK, like in a lot of things, we're just taught for the exam. So I got an A in GCSE French. I can't remember (laughs) anything because it was all about memory. You remember this, you remember how to say this, you recreate, you just regurgitate this right. in an exam. Right. So in terms of like practical French, or I've got an A for Spanish as well, actually. So you've got a good memory. Yeah, well, <laughs> short-term memory. And then once you stop, I guess it's like all languages. People say if you speak a language for a while and then you stop speaking it, it's very easy to forget yeah, I think, parts of that language. I think, I think even English, yeah. even your native language, yeah. I think you can lose chunks of it definitely even if it's your only language which is something that we have to be careful of yeah as we grow less young uh, how about other foreign languages you study french you studied spanish are, are there any other foreign languages that you're in contact with nowadays i mean traveling only in the region there's malay and bits indonesian. and pieces of indonesian so bahasa tagalog philippines yeah so i've been to two places in the philippines i've been to bali i've been you know kind of all the touristy spots cambodia so try and pick up bits and pieces. But there's so many, and even in a lot of those countries, the variation and the dialects, there's so many within one country. It seems quite difficult to be able to master or try and pick up one when there's so many influences. How do you find this environment either at the school or even outside of the school just for 
meeting people. I mean, I'm sure with your football club, you probably meet people that you play with. The people at our school are very friendly. You know, sometimes professional relationships are professional, and then yeah. outside of school, a lot of times people don't mix. Having grown up here, too, you have a different perspective yeah. of things. So has it been easy to make connections? Even the COVID had us yeah. limited for a long time. Yeah. Without even trying or even intentionally doing this, I just seem to have fallen into like the English bubble. So all my friends pretty much are English. They're teachers. A lot of them work at Tanglin or UWC. But maybe it's through the football, through my partner at the time. She had English friends, so it's through them. And it's quite a small bubble. And then because it's so small, you just end up in the bubble with the same people. And you know, maybe I, it's a cultural, historical. I've been in situations when I was a student in France a long time ago. The first year I was a student two years in France. Mm. But the first year, I fell into the American student expat bubble, yeah. you know, where we're all there to learn French, but all we do is sit around and drink coffee and talk to each other in English. Yeah. And then the second year, I decided to purposely break out of that because I was motivated to learn the language. And yeah. it was really hard yeah. because instead of leaving my American friends behind so that I could connect with the French, I left my American friends behind to be completely alone. Wow. Because... It's not that easy to, to connect with people yeah. without having something that ties us together. Yeah. And I think our school is a place where we can have a common connection and we can meet really interesting people. But like I said, it's not always easy with colleagues, with the language barrier yeah. and the fact that, you know, there's things that pop up minor conflicts that people have or things that people disagree upon. Mm. In my experience here, I ended up meeting a lot of parents. I yeah. mean, parents uh, who were parents of kids, my kids' age, and then you get invited to dinner and then you have a good conversation and you end up having something in common. Yeah. That's something that I never expected, but it can yeah. happen here. I don't know if you've had yeah. that experience before. I've never been invited yeah. to dinner. I had a couple of bottles, that's about it. So hopefully there's some parents out there. Have you ever thought of inviting your child's English teacher to dinner? <laughs> That'd be lovely. <laughs> yeah. Well, is there anything I've forgotten to ask you? You know, my interview technique, my so. questioning technique is very basic. It's just uh, it was good. It was the, beginning, the beginning of time until yeah. the present. Yeah. And then I get tempted to ask about the future. Yeah. But of course... We don't know. We don't know, about the future. we don't know about the future. One thing I would say, actually, talking about that being in this school was more just sort of the cultural differences of how long it took me to adjust from the British system to the French system. What were some of the things? The freedom that you get here ah. and the fact that, not that you don't have to, we well, do have to answer to people, but the fact it's not as rigid. You right. know, I, have a, I have a line manager, I had an assistant yes. in the department head of the department, everything's very structured. Right. You're given the PowerPoints to teach at the beginning of the year. So we're going to teach Midsummer Night's Dream. These are the PowerPoints you're going to teach. And you can deliver them how you want, but this is what you're going to teach in this way. Okay. And then obviously here it's, no, no, you can teach Macbeth, but you choose how you're going to teach it, which obviously is actually much better. I prefer that. It's much better to have the freedom, oh. what you want to do. But coming from a, three years of teaching in the UK where it's, this is how you teach, it took a while to adjust. How do you feel about the freedom that we do have? I would rather have As freedom. a teacher to but teach it, how you want to teach. I think in like the British system, it leads to a very strong department. Mm -hmm. You're very close because you have to rely on each other. You have to do mandatory, well, they were called pods. That's what we had to do, peer observation. Okay. So you had to do four a year. So you had to observe four other teachers throughout the year, and then they had to observe you. There's a lot of peer observations right. and obviously kind of senior leadership observations of you throughout the year. You get monitored a lot. The students that are here 
are so attuned and they're so smart and they know what good teaching looks like. They're the ones. Tell us about your culinary background. Are you a spicy food man? I do like spicy food. So growing up had its yeah. impact on you. Durian or no durian? No, no durian. Okay. No. I can't get past the smell. <laughs> Doesn't go well with beer. <laughs> no, or anything, I think. Was that an issue when you got back to the UK after living in Singapore as all your childhood? The food is completely different in the UK. Yeah. Do you do your own cooking here? Yeah. Eat yeah. Do you know what my favorite thing to cook is gumbo? Love gumbo. Okay. It's my favorite food. It takes forever to cook. All right. Because you got to do the roux. How do you make a roux? Is that flour and water? It's flour and a fat. Flour Generally, and a fat. Like an oil or... Okay. Usually oil. And then gumbo has a lot of what the British call lady fingers, but we call it okra, okra in the United States. So there's a lot of okra. That takes a long time to cook. Yeah, okra. And then seafood? So, yeah, you can put anything in it, really. Shrimp, chorizo. Chicken. chicken Ch- chorizo, okay. A bacon in there. Uh-huh. But they call it the Holy Trinity. So you've got to have celery, bell peppers, and onions. Celery, bell peppers, and onions. So where did you first learn how to make this? You know, I was watching this documentary. It wasn't even a documentary. It was a TV show. Jamie Oliver went to America. All right. And he was going to different parts of America. And also, I loved America. And he went to Louisiana and cooked gumbo. And then one Christmas, I got a cookbook. And it was the Jamie Oliver (laughs) when he went to America cookbook. And it was the recipes from there. And this gumbo looked incredible, just a picture. So I was like, I've got to make that. And he put sweet potato in it as well. I made it, and it was the most delicious thing I've ever tasted. I've tried to find it in Singapore, like in a restaurant. It's very difficult. I don't think I've found it anywhere in a restaurant. It's hard to find. You've got to make it yourself. Yeah, it's, it's kind of comfort food, though, too. Yeah. It's not fancy food. It's something that sticks to your ribs, yeah. which, is, which is good. Smoky, yeah. Now, today is our second to the last day of work. The yeah. kids finished today. It's yeah. July 4th. Will you be traveling over the holidays? Do you go back to the UK or do you go somewhere else? Uh, I'm not going to go to the UK because I'll go back at Christmas, but I will go to Bali. I'll go to Thailand for a bit. I've got okay. some friends out there. Okay, so you stay so, kind of in the region. Yeah, I'm going to do probably half and half, three to four weeks in total abroad, and then just stay here for three to four weeks. And as then well. be very relaxed. you can enjoy yourself here too. Yeah. That's nice to be able to spend time at home. Yeah. Are you still on an employment pass? Are you someone mm-hmm. who's interested in a PR or have you thought about it much? Because Singapore is one of these places if you plan on staying for a long time. Yeah, the financial situation mm-hmm. with regards to housing and things like that is making it a little bit difficult, I would say. Oh, the, um, the expense of... Uh, yeah, so I don't know how many more years I see. I'll have. And after your experience in a French school, would you be interested in staying in the French system? There is a network of IOF yeah. schools all yeah. around all around the world. Yeah. How does that compare to the British school, quote-unquote, system? Tanglin is a British school, but it's yeah. a private school. It's yeah. not really part of a system, no. whereas our school is part of a government organization. Most of those British international schools are just individual entities. Unless, there's like Harrow, there's some which are kind of big well, we call them public schools, private schools in the UK that have kind of satellite offshoot schools right. in certain areas, but they're still attached to that one specific school or part of that one specific school. There isn't really like an overarching, unless it's like Nord Anglia. I think that's where oh, Dover Court and some of those others, but mostly they're just independent institutions. So if you were to leave, would you consider staying in the French uh, yeah. system because yeah. it's freedom and yeah. your experience working here yeah. has been positive very positive very positive yeah like i said the freedom's really good the students are on the whole fantastic we do have wonderful students really good yeah really nice we're really lucky i mean i just had activities with a sankey m class that i've never taught before i've never taught anyone in that year group and they were so nice just such a nice that's a good group, group. Of so that's the positives right that generally the relationships you can build with them are really really good and they want to learn and they're smart 
and they're ambitious. So, yeah, it's all, it's all good. James Carey, I really appreciate you taking the time to come in at the end of a school day, at the yeah. end of a school year, yeah. and sharing your story with us, sharing your path, your parcours, because we all are here now, yeah. but we all got here a different way. Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. I'll say bye for now. This has been Parkour Ed with Colin Daly. If you enjoyed today's show, consider giving it a rating on Apple Podcast. Also, if you'd like to be interviewed or if you have questions about anything, feel free to contact me at colindaly at gmail.com. That's C-O-L-I-N-D-A-I-L-E-Y at gmail.com.